Hello and welcome to the HRD Live podcast. On this week's episode, I was joined by Janine Truitt, Chief Innovations Officer at TalentThink Innovations, to discuss the future of the human at work in every aspect, from automation to mindfulness. Janine joined me from the USA via Studio Uplink for a fascinating conversation full of ideas I've never heard anywhere else before. I think you're going to love it. Enjoy. Janine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So first of all, Janine, what do you mean when you say human transformation? Um, you know, for me, I really see it as the next frontier of humanity. This idea that, you know, perhaps we're on the precipice of being something very different than we've been, you know, 40, 50 years ago, um, and really just transforming into a better species overall. So how we look at work, how we look at society, how we see each other, how we show up and participate every day. Um, that's really what I'm looking at when I talk about transformation of the humankind. Fascinating. So how does that manifest itself then, do you think, in, in, in work? How is that transformation taking place, do you think? Yeah, I think... Well, I, for me, I see a, a different consciousness than when I started work, say, you know, 20 plus years ago. I think we're far more concerned with the individual than we've ever been. So there was right. kind of a herding cattle mentality, um, probably at the top of the century. And, and there was good reason for that. You know, we were firmly in like the Industrial Revolution and that was very, you know, rote and mechanical. You know, we give you a job, you do a job, you do this thing, there's an output, thank you, here's your check. Um, now I wanna say, you know, at least in the past decade and so much more in the last five years, I feel like we understand a little bit more about what we've done to the humans that come to work for us and how work has impacted their lives. And I think there's going to be a lot more understanding and a lot more discussion around um, you know, how we kind of shift their realities at work so that their overall lives are better because work is a huge part of life. You know, like people define themselves by the work that they do. So if we're not thinking about how the overall individual is, it's almost like we're doing ourselves a disservice. Exactly. And it's almost like you're disallowing that person to be the best that they can be at work if you're kind of stopping and stymieing a huge part of who that person is outside of work you have to finding that balance it seems is more important than it's ever been before absolutely and i think part of it too is that people just haven't felt like they could fully show up authentically um which i know that's a lot of a buzzword right now but you know they haven't really been able to show up and fully <laughs> express the full spectrum of who they are so when we talk about authenticity i think that's what we mean um without being buzzwordy is that we want people to be able to show up as who they are past five o'clock or past the work day, um, not as some sort of caricature of themselves because that's what we need them to be. So I, one of the, the the newer trends, I suppose, and I suppose, as you say, it, it could be a bit buzzwordy, that it seems to be affecting people in the workplace is automation. Now, I, I've seen and read different things about what the effects of automation might be, and we're aware of how automation is going to change business and improve elements of business and, and the HR function. But how do you think automation is affecting the employee mindset and will affect it? I don't think we have um, evangelized automation or technology in the right ways. 
So in a lot of ways, I feel like there's not great sentiments um, from an employee perspective on how technology impacts them at work. Um, they're, they're awfully excited about how technology is impacting them outside of work. So when you think about social media and all those different developments, Alexa, the Echo Dots, people are quite content with that. But um, I, I don't think we've done a good job of one, really thinking about the place technology has at work and then to you know really managing that change management process around how people adopt technology at work. And so, you know, now we're at a place where right before 2020, the odyssey, as I call it, um, we're talking about things like AR and VR and robotics and AI. And, you know, then you throw out these, there's all these numbers about how many jobs will be lost, right? And I think people just have a lot of trepidation mm -hmm. with what's to come versus a lot of excitement for how it can amplify what we've always done. It's interesting as well. It, it seems that um, to a certain extent, I wonder whether using things like automation and all, you know AR and VR, as you mentioned, all these this emerging technology, to some extent, is there like a failure of of us to engage? Are we failing to engage? Are leaders failing to engage if they're having to use this technology, or do you think it it can only amplify and improve if used properly? I think well, there's almost like over discussion for lack of better words around some of those technologies because um, when you do that and when that discussion starts happening the the um, presumption is that we're here we've arrived and this is happening i haven't found stateside that so many companies are even there yet in fact i feel like a lot of companies are behind the eight ball and right. haven't have yet to even get to the point of thinking about things like ai they're still trying to figure out how to automate an onboarding process or how to get their recruitment online and off of an Excel spreadsheet. So I think some of that puts some undue pressure on the employees, which doesn't help in adoption. Um, but then, you know, for the ones that are implementing and are there, I think there has to be more of a discussion around ethics um, and how they're planning to use the information that's now going to be so readily mm. available to them about their employees, because that's a big part is the privacy. It's now that you have this information, now that you have some sort of roadmap about my behavior, how will you use that information? And the the you know the the sense is that you're always going to use that to my demise. It's not usually you're going to use it for my benefit. So like leaders have to get ahead of that kind of messaging. Of course, you, you mentioned um, businesses being behind in certain aspects there. And another thing I think on on the flip side of this of, of this issue that, that a lot of uh, leaders and businesses seem to be behind on is mindfulness in the workplace and finding a way of making that work and bringing it in in an effective manner. How do you think that people leaders can help to promote mindfulness in the workplace and, and why is it important to do so? So I'll start with why it's important. Um, we really have become a 24 7 365 um, day world with an expectation that people are always supposed to be on. So I've worked for leaders in the past that felt like if they sent me an email at 2 a.m., I ought to be at my computer at 2 a.m., blurry-eyed and all, 
answering their <laughs> message, right? right. Um, so, some part of that, when we peel back the layers, so we can talk about economics and the reasons why we have to kind of always be on the go. Um, and there's a lot of economical factors that drive that. But ultimately, the part we've lost is that there are full human beings doing these jobs. And it's really never been reasonable to work humans the way that we do. Um, and so, you know, we are, while we want productivity and we want good outcomes and we want revenue, we're doing it very much to the deficit of the humans that work for us. And that's really why it's important. I mean, the idea of mindfulness is really around being present um, in every moment. And so if I'm working on a report for you, I can't be also working on a report for the other department. That can't also be a sense of urgency. So you've got to then allow me to get through a task and then move on to the next task. And what that does is it slows me down and it gives me a lot more efficiency as well because there's less room for mistakes, which is something businesses frown on, frown upon. So, um, I mean, it's very valuable, but I think leaders have to exemplify it first um, before people are ever comfortable taking that step back and really breathing into their work because that's really what we would be asking them to do in terms of adopting mindfulness. How might a leader exemplify that? Is it, is it a case of, of showing in their day to day in their tasks that they're taking a different approach or is it being more vocal what do you think sir maybe the top the key, the top tip you'd give to a leader who really wants to make that mindfulness um more prominent i suppose in the workplace it's a mixed bag i think for one when you're developing what we would call work life policies and things of that you actually have to implement those policies with an intention to use it I find oftentimes they're developed as almost like a catch for people to to bring people in, to lure people to the company. And then when you get into the company, you find out that absolutely nobody uses those perks. And so it begs the question as to why have it at all? So, um, you know, they have to be mindful that mm. when they're putting those things on, that th there's an encouragement that comes behind the policy and the initiatives that says, hey, we really do want you to do this. So if it's something like taking time off, we really encourage you to take your time off. And we really encourage you not to be on your email. And how a leader kind of reinforces that is by taking their own vacations, right? And making sure that they're not on email during their vacations or that they're not on email during dinner time answering messages, that there are hard stops in which people can resume their normal life and not feel like they're draining and burning both ends of the stick. Another initiative that, that leaders everywhere and businesses everywhere seem to constantly struggle with, and again, I think it's something which is often signposting and never really has any full implementation, is diversity and inclusion. It's like, as you said, with mindfulness, it seems that it can be this luring trick, a, a kind of signpost you put it that says, we're great with this kind of thing, but then, employees will enter an organization and find that it's you know it's no more than one of those values that's put on the wall in acrylic with a nice picture or something like that why do you think so many organizations struggle with dni initiatives i think because we haven't gotten it right as a society as a global society um so much of how we operate with one another in general feeds into what we do at work and so right. If outside of work, we don't value one another, we don't think that a certain group of people um, ought to have the same rights 
um, and opportunities as another group, then certainly that will trickle down into work. And so, I mean, working in diversity and inclusion as I have, um, my, my firm observation is that it's been a band-aid for a bigger problem. Um, it's very um, exciting for people to say, yeah, we have um, employee resource groups and we put on a gospel fest <laughs> for the African-Americans. And, you know, we do a potluck, a Mexican potluck around, um, you know, Cinco de Mayo. And they think that these are the things people are after when really we're getting back down to mm-hmm. how are you accepting people where they're at? And on a very basic level, it has very little to do with the things we focused on in the past 30 to 40 years. So especially here stateside, we've got a lot of legislation around this, Title VII, race, ethnicity, sexuality, more recent. And none of it really matters if you're solving for the human factor, because ultimately all these people want the same things. They want to be paid for the work that they do. They want to be recognized. They want to make enough money to do things for their family. They want to progress themselves. I mean, we can go on and on. And those things have nothing to do with any of those buckets that we throw them into. So it's almost like we've been spinning our wheels, trying to solve for all these different and varied groups that keep cropping up when really it's the human factor that's been at the crux of it all along. Of course, there's a kind of core element that needs changing there, a way of expressing ourselves in business and a way of conducting business and a structural change, as you say, is kind of a microcosm of of wider society and business often is that, I suppose, that it's not about creating all these different ways of speaking to different people it's finding a way that everyone can be spoken to and is do you think the problem lies with leadership is it does it need to start there in business absolutely i mean i think they have to be paying a lot more attention to the stuff that's going on on the ground i find oftentimes the leaders get put in the hot seat when things hit the fan when it hits social media when it becomes a class action lawsuit they're on the hot seat not really knowing why Um, Because ultimately, many of them have the best of intentions, not all, but many of them anyhow. And what they don't pay attention to is what ends up happening as a matter of their directives and their need to make money or whatever the case is, as you start to trickle down to the C-level and then from the C-level to the mid-level managers. There's a lot of stuff that goes on at that level that often doesn't get to their desk. And those are the things that create the culture. Those are the things that create a perception about who your company is and whether somebody should come work for it. And it can get pretty ugly, you know, if they don't keep a good handle on it. So I don't, you you just can't be, I don't think today you can be um, as casual about just being up in the rafters and not paying attention to that. And I also think just, again, societally, you have to, I feel like leaders are really being pushed in a corner to have to decide what side of history they want to be on. People care, they will not come to your company if they don't feel like they will be adequately represented or if you hold certain views that maybe don't align with that. Those are things that people weren't considering 10, 15 years ago, but they very much are now. Um, and so it's, it's something to kind of get ahead of and be having good conversations about internally. Of course. I think one of the things we've been coming back to and and coming a roundabout way talking about throughout this conversation is that connection between work and the life outside of it and how they interact and how they connect and the influence between the two and obviously 
now that balance of of work and 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 well-being and life outside of it is often in question how is that changing and what will it look like in the future what does that sort of work-life balance and that work well-being balance in the future look like to you how do you think it's going to develop i think it's going to be different for everybody and i think business has to be quite adaptable to what that reality may look like because it's not going to look like anything we've seen in the last 30 to 40 Mm. years um from a purely philosophical standpoint i mean if you think of something like maslow's hierarchy earlier in the century we were talking about you know people reaching this point of self-actualization which is to mean that you know they recognize they've, they've reached a certain point in their life where they're they're happy for all intents and purposes most of their basic needs have been met um as we start going into 2020 i find the conversation is more about self-transcendence um which is a notch above that and that mindset is more so around not just self-actualization like i've made it hey mom i've made it but it's this idea that you have connected every aspect of your existence to a singular or multiple um pronged purpose right um so that's something that we've not talked about a whole lot it's been people go to school they choose a vocation they go to work Mm -hmm. um but there really hasn't been a whole lot of talk until recent about overall purpose and that's a very different thing um and it it, it will bring to bear a whole nother way of looking at work when we start to have to really clue in on what makes people get up in the morning um what really makes them shine where do they really shine and are they in the right careers and if they're not how do we help them reach that so that they don't feel drained by any aspect of their life um so if you know babysitting is an issue we're offering them opportunities through our benefits plans to, you know, account for that. If they need to take a sabbatical because they've been working many years and they want to work on something else that's more purposeful, how are we helping them do that? They need to go back to school. How are we helping them to do that? They have mental health concerns, which is a huge thing. How are we helping them beyond the traditional EAP programs that we've been using for the last 30 years? So it's really requires a whole human um kind of planning (laughs) workforce planning but i think we can get there um and i think we'll be better for it if people are willing to roll up their sleeves and really dig in right lastly uh, for any hr professional listening who hears the things you're saying about self-transcendence and these ideas of how this work-life balance can change what do you think is their role and how can they maybe get that started in their organization if they if there's no trace of it at the moment if it feels totally hopeless where they're at right now how can they maybe get that going yeah i think you know part of the problem and i can say this because i have been an hr practitioner is we don't step very far outside of our little sector sometimes, um, very much to our demise. Um, and so sometimes really it's it's a matter of taking that time to research the trends, research what's going on, start to synthesize it for yourself, You know, come up with a small case as to where this has worked in similar companies, right? Um, and, and, and provide some numbers, give a small presentation, ask the C-suite to give a small presentation on it and just, and ask for a pilot area, you know, like, I mean, you don't, I think sometimes we think we have to do like one felt swoop and do a sweeping clean 
house of everything that we've ever done. But sometimes it's just small tweaks. And sometimes you just need to start small with like one initiative and show that that thing actually works and have the data to back it. And oftentimes those are the things that catapult leaders to saying, okay, you got it. Um, here's more money to go and do that thing for our employees because you've proven to us that this matters. So, you know, I, I don't want leaders to feel pressured by what they're hearing. They should feel really inspired actually right now because I feel like there's a great deal of creativity that we can have as practitioners to really make a difference for the business as well as the people that come to work for us. Wonderful. Janine, this has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us on the show and I look forward to having you on here again soon. Likewise, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HRD Live podcast with Janine Truitt. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to hrdconnect.com, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for a new episode every week. See you next time.